Welcome to the Becoming Your Best Version podcast. I'm your host, Maria Leonard Olson. I'm a civil litigator based in Washington, D.C., a podcaster, mentor to women in long-term recovery from alcoholism, journalist, author, and TEDx speaker. Please hit the like button on my TEDx talk, Using Life's Challenges, as a force for good to help move it up in the visibility algorithm, because I think it has the capacity to help many people. So I get the pleasure of interviewing inspiring women whose paths have crossed mine. And today I'm interviewing Nicole Christina, who is host of the multi-award winning Zestful Aging Podcast, an interview show heard in 106 countries. Nicole's guests are change makers from a variety of disciplines, filmmakers, writers, advocates, poets, musicians, scientists, athletes, and entrepreneurs, many of whom are top experts in their fields. She calls herself the Terry Gross of Aging Well. After more than 30 years as a psychotherapist, she's created the Zestful Aging Coaching Organization. Nicole has authored the book, Not Just Chatting, how to become a master podcast interviewer. You can find out more at zestfulaging.com and at the links that are on the show notes. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Maria. I, I am at a conference, a women's conference in Washington, DC. So I have to apologize if there's any noise in the background which we will try to minimize, mm -hmm. but we do what we have to do. So, uh, Nicole, Zestful yeah. Aging, how did you come up with that name? Well, I was trying to think of all kinds of ways to describe living with vibrancy and intention and blooming. Um, and my partner actually came up with it. So I have to, I have to give him credit for that credit where credit is due, even though I'm the wordsmith in the family, that was his word. Got it. Great. Great. And what made you decide to embark on this endeavor? On the podcast endeavor? Yeah. Uh, well, as, as you said, um, in the intro, I have been a psychotherapist for my most of my professional life. And I think many people and many women might be able to identify with you kind of get to the point after you've done something for 30 years where maybe it's time to challenge yourself. Maybe it's time to sort of stretch outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, I had done some online courses I am an expert in eating disorders. So I had done some online courses and my tech assistant said, you know, you should check out podcasting. I think that would suit you well. And not being one to, you know, let moss grow under my feet. The next day I took my laptop to uh, a friend of mine's home who is an expert fly fisher woman. She, she's a fly fishing person and she does it as um as a volunteer to help women in recovery from cancer because fly fishing is done in beautiful and serene places. Mm -hmm. She and I had done a meditation retreat using fly fishing. And I thought she just lived across town. I thought she'd be a wonderful person. So I took my little laptop, went over to Vicki's house and asked her questions about 
um, her aging journey, why fly fishing, why volunteering with cancer survivors. And during the interview, there was something that clicked for me. Like, I don't care how this happens. I have to do more of this. I just felt like I had found my, um, uh, the best version <laughs> of myself. And it was just so fun. And I'm a psychotherapist, so I already love to ask questions. Uh, so that's pretty much where, where it started. Uh, that was about 350 interviews ago. And being a podcaster has just enriched my life in ways that um, I can't even describe. Well, what was your favorite podcast episode and why? Oh boy. That's like saying, what's your favorite child? <laughs> I just interviewed Peggy Ornstein. She has a book and people aren't familiar unraveling, uh, which is about her. Well, it's about a lot of things, but she's a knitter and, and she uses this as a lens to talk about aging and, um, what the joys and the, and the challenges. Um, so I've had some big people, but one of my most memorable ones, and I was reminded this uh, of this yesterday, a friend of mine was talking about it, is I interviewed two scientists, two women who went to the Arctic to do some um, research. And because of COVID, uh, the ships coming to pick them up uh, weren't able to, to pick them up anymore. So they were in the Arctic in, in an area with no roads, and in the size, this is uh, two friends, in the size of a, a, a housing that's like a walk-in closet and um, you, polar bears around all of this stuff. And we connected through satellite. So they were in the Arctic. I was in my cozy little office in upstate New York. And we were talking about how important global warming is. Uh, and they're, they're both grandparents, actually, and their visions for helping the planet heal. Um, they were doing a lot of testing of water and, and those kind of things. And I think for me, talking to these women who were doing such a, an amazing adventure and being courageous and doing uh, good things for, for humanity and they had their dog with them. It was just, uh, it was so delightful. And the fact that they have no internet. So it was all done through satellite. And I felt like uh, that made it even more special. Yeah. Do you still have your private practice? I do. I do. And I'll hold on to that because there are some people who would not be happy with me if I, uh, if I faded that out. But I'm, I'm sort of dovetailing it with the coaching practice, which is a zestful aging coaching. Um, so I will, I will retain my current clients, but I'm not taking new, new people right now in the therapy practice. And how did you get into coaching as opposed to being a psychotherapist? What's well, that's the a difference. It's a great question. Uh, well, psychotherapy is, um, you know, more based in diagnoses mm -hmm. and understanding kind of the lay of the land with, it's a more of a medical model. Um, some people may say it's pathologizing. Sometimes you have to understand severe pathology to understand, you know, 
how to help somebody and where to lead them. And I have to say, after doing this for 30 years, I'm in my 60s now, the, the level of trauma people are experiencing, as you're well aware, um, it's, it's very uh, emotionally taxing, uh, mm -hmm. frankly. And as much as I love it, at this point in my life, I feel like I want to do sort of a lighter version and help people with their future rather than trying to help them heal their past, I guess is the best way to say it. That makes sense. Yeah. And I see on your website that you also offer some really rich courses. So how did that come to be part of your menu of offerings? Yeah, my menu. I think, you know, as someone who's been a psychotherapist, you're really working one-on-one -on -one unless you have a couple or a family. And I think there's a sense that like, I, you know, I've accumulated experience and hopefully some knowledge and isn't there a better way to share this with more people? And so again, another challenge, another little pushing myself outside a comfort zone and saying, you know, how can I help more people? Because I have this body of knowledge with eating disorders. And so there's mindful eating, there's the zestful aging. And then I did a decluttering course with a, um, uh, uh, a designer uh, friend and colleague of mine. I think it's just, you know, you want to have your voice heard by more than uh, a few people because it, you know, you feel like you have something to offer. And so I think that's, that's how that came about. Beautiful. Well, I'm particularly interested in your zestful aging class, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. Would you mind giving us a taste of it? The like one tip that you include in that course? Sure, I would love to. I mean, I think the problem with a lot of these courses are not my course, but a lot of the advice we have is like, wow, that sounds great. You know, do yoga for three hours a day or, you know, put your phone down for a day. And those are all probably great. I don't know that they're super practical. So I tend to be sort of little bits, uh, things that actually are doable. Uh, one of the things that I know you're very well aware of is that movement is so important as we age, we need to keep sort of lubricated and um, and I, I would even suggest like a few minute walk. Um, I call them aesthetic walks. They don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be getting your 10,000 steps, but you have to do something if you want to maintain a body that's still mobile and uh, vital uh, as we age. So I always recommend some kind of movement, whether it's gardening, whether it's, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a tennis player, so, um, I get it that way too, but dog walking is one of my most favorite activities for a lot of reasons. So I would really suggest not getting into, oh, I'm never going to be able to get 10,000 steps. I would say, you know, on your lunch break, go, uh, walk to the cafe or whatever, and just really enjoy that. There's so much evidence that that's good for your mental health and certainly your physical health. So I, I'm really into baby steps. I'm not into like, make sure you run a marathon before you're 60. That to me just doesn't resonate with real life. Some people do it. That's great. 
I'm more of a like, I don't know if I can get eight glasses of water in, but I'm going to try to get four glasses. I, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, how shall I say, I'm the, the realistic version of some of these uh, health initiatives. Yeah, I agree. I uh, use walking as meditation more often than not. Isn't that, and, and I, I am so much there with you. And there's something about the, the movement and the repetition, um, that that's one of my go-tos. So you also have written this book, not just chatting how to become a master podcast interviewer. Can you share one or two tips from your book? Sure. Um, I think, you know, podcasting is, become so accessible for people. Mm -hmm. And, and many times we think that if we're friendly people and we're, we're good, good talkers, that we'll be great hosts. And it's not exactly a transferable skill. Um, and I would also say, and I'm curious to hear your opinion about this is like, listening is a lost art. And I find that even in a psychotherapy session now, 45 or 50 minutes of me listening to someone, I'm not scrolling, I'm not checking anything. It's almost weird and archaic. So of course, the first, the first number one big thing is to really see if you can be present and listen in a way that isn't about you waiting to add your two cents. And it's not something I've perfected because sometimes I get excited and want to say, oh, do you know about that? I tend to be very uh, emotive. Um, but to just allow your guests to be the star um, and not like as you're doing, Maria, <laughs> yeah. um, and not be, you know, sort of showing how much you know. Uh, that's a skill that's subtle, but uh, it's not always easy. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I really do use this platform as a way of amplifying women's voices because I want to learn and I do learn during the course of recording the podcast some interesting and enriching tidbits from all of my guests. I want to keep learning. I don't think I know all the answers. It's interesting you say that because uh, Zestful Aging just uh, collaborated with my local NPR yesterday. So that was a big day for me. And I listened to the podcast and I've done so many of these now. I'm not nervous. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm not nervous anymore. But I thought, wow, um, that was a, you know, got to got to work on this. That needs a little, you know, I was. I was taken by, you know, I still have a lot to learn, even though um, I'm very intentional about doing my interviews. How do you find your guests? Do they typically come to you or do you seek um, people out? It depends. I'll, um, I, 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 at this point, um, they seek me out, but I have a real love for certain things, dog rescuing, tennis, knitting, um, really cool stuff that women do that um, adventures. Like I went on a Python hunt with uh, an environmentalist in the Everglades um, wow. and I found her. Um, yeah, that was a big deal. Uh, oh people are pretty shocked by that. I know I was down in Florida playing tennis anyway. 
Uh, but I, I sought her out and there's a documentary now about her, Donna Khalil. So that's a different situation. And then I just, uh, uh, I'm, I'm uh, working out the details of um, Gigi Fernandez, who is one of the best doubles tennis players in history is um, happily agreed to be on. So I seek those people out, but I think it's when you get to be in the space People start knowing you, um, uh, one person tells another, and then as you know, people want to promote their their books or their work. And so um, that's why I, I get people finding me, I think on LinkedIn, I suspect is, is where they find me mostly. Since you're a tennis person, I would recommend Kathleen Horvath, who beat Martina Navratilova at age 16. And she is our age and retired in Florida now. But that clip where she beats Martina to prevent Martina from getting the triple crown that year uh, is a Pictionary clue. It, 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 oh, it you're comes up. Is up. that right? Yeah, and she is a delightful person. So, uh, and and say her last name again. Horvath, H O R V A T H. I can put you in touch with her. I would love that. I'm I'm just. Uh, I say this funny thing. It's a little morbid, but I I, I want to die on the tennis court, hitting my <laughs> best cross court ever. I <laughs> I have a group of women there, and. I, and they probably think I'm the corniest girl ever, but I'm just like, I, I'm there. I feel such incredible privilege to be there, first of all. Um, and we, it's like a love fest. And so we're trying to beat each other and we also love each other and we'll call each other funny names and call each other stinkers when we get, you know, beat. Uh, and the the sense of community and respect is like I feel like it's a huge ejection of goodness and um, why a lot of people who do these kind of things tend to age well. It, it, it's irreplaceable. Do you play in leagues or purely yes. social? And I'm playing the senior games. The um, there's a national senior game circuit, uh, and that sounds very fancy. I'm not, I'm not, uh, at a high, high level. Um, so I'll be going to Pittsburgh, um, in July to play. And that's that most beautiful vibe of people over 50 playing every possible sport. And so you see these people that are in their eighties, these women on basketball teams, and they are just in their element. It's a beautiful thing to see. It sounds very uplifting. It is. Thank you for sharing that. I'll have to look into that. Yes. I used to play tennis quite a bit and um, I played country club tennis and then USTA. And I found the USTA people to be a little serious for my taste. That's that's what we have something called TACNI, uh, which is uh, central New York. Um, and it's much more mellow. But USTA, you can get, so, especially when you get up in the 4-0, um, you're like, look, we're 
I don't know where you're going, but we're not going to Wimbledon. So you can just chill out. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was. And I yeah. didn't find it fun at all. I did that's Some of my friends are like, vote no on USTA. And I, I guess I'm so oblivious. I, you know, I'm thinking about what's my next guest, whatever. You know, um, I don't really, for whatever reason, I don't take it on. But I, there have been complaints that these women, it's like, ladies, we are not going to the U.S. Open. Take yeah. a chill pill. Indeed, indeed. But I do agree with you. Tennis is a sport that we can play into our older ages. I mean, the really good tennis players uh, who were above 60 that I know don't really have to move very much because their placement is so good. So. Yes, the racket skills. I saw a beautiful, I don't know if it was Instagram, there was a woman who was quite old and she had a cane in one hand and her racket in the other. She was standing on the court hitting balls. I thought that's the way I want to go right there. <laughs> that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Do you have children? I do. I have a one adult child. And does he or she play tennis? No, nope. All right. And what does your child think of your um, second chapter and what you're doing with your time? Well, he's uh, actually uh, in a pretty rough spot right now and he's on the spectrum. So mm -hmm. I don't think that he's thinking too much about mm -hmm. me. I think he's trying to figure out his own path. Right. How about your extended family and husband? Mm -hmm. they, what do they, they think? They, I think they... Uh, get quite a kick out of my exploits there's a lot of um uh tease playful teasing and uh head shaking like there she goes <laughs> <laughs> well I mean your podcast is not just an ordinary podcast you've won some significant awards with your work how do you think your work came to the attention of these awards award grantors? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think like some of these uh, opportunities for many of us, you know, you have to apply or someone um, suggests you. For some, I don't know how I got in. Crunchy Tales is a place that recommended my podcast. And that's a pretty popular British online magazine. In fact, I'm going to interview the uh, the the main person um, I've had her on my podcast I write for them pretty regularly oh you do mm -hmm. so you know all about it and it's mm -hmm. really it's really lovely um yeah. so I'm excited about that somehow I got on their you know best of list and I think that really helped I was also associated with the International Federation of Aging in Toronto I did some mm -hmm. media work for them so I think it's just sort of drips and drabs and uh, you connect with different people. And um, I, I'm not that shy about reaching out and saying, Hey, I've got this podcast, you know, you want to take a look. Um, and so I think, you know, and once, once one hears and they, you know, when they do a search, then they, you know, you know how it goes. It's a yeah. uh, little bit of word of mouth. Yes. I agree. Um, and I've seen that happen myself with my work. Mm. And I guess really the meat of my podcast is I like to hear from women 
what they do to become their best version? And, th- and that isn't an easy answer. I realize that. So mm-hmm. take some time and let me know, let our listeners know, what are the things that feed your spirit and help you to become your best version? Well, I'm going to say something that I'm sure like 50% of your guests say, and I don't want to be repetitious, but for me, I cannot live without nature. And I just have a spiritual connection with trees and other sorts of living fauna. And uh, so I've, um, I lived in Syracuse for 25 years and now I've moved to, uh, a sleepy little town outside of Syracuse. There are a lot of hikes and that's where my best self lives is on paths near trees. There's of course, a lot of scientific evidence that walking among trees and, and this uh, is super healthy for your brain. But um, if I don't have some nature and I'm home working all the time, I get really unsettled and unhappy. So for me, you know, I'm my best self when I'm with uh, one or two of my rescue dogs in nature without my phone and just really being, trying to have my, uh, just paying attention. That's really it. And trying not to be strategizing about business or thinking about what I'm going to pick up at the grocery store, but just trying to really stay present. And to me that um, that's the best possible version of myself. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit more about what, what is it that you're feeling when you're walking? What is it that you're noticing? Oh. How do you feel when you're done with a walk? And that's what my that you're that's right out of my book is the oh, follow-up theory. Yeah, that's so I love that question. Mm, I feel a sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. I feel a sense of joy and incredible privilege and gratitude that um I've had many challenges and traumas in my life, and that I'm still here at 61 thriving and loving what I do and being in a place that is really sacred to me. And that is in some kind of forested, forested, um, area I smell things. I, um, I look at tracks. I'm not that good at tracks. Mm-hmm. My partner is a wildlife biologist. So he teaches me what tracks are what, right. But I just try to really absorb the the goodness of of that moment and really try. And it's not easy. I mean, I'm I'm as addicted to my phone as anybody. Sometimes I have to leave it in the car because I'm like, oh, you know, I wonder what so-and-so said or or, what's what what match are we playing? Um, So it's not easy for me, but. I'm going to do that actually this afternoon is just, there's a place uh, near me called the Nelson swamp and I'm just going to go and be quiet, be still, take some walk across this beautiful bridge and just be very grateful that I can do that. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree with you with everything that you've said. And it's very hard for me not to bring 
my cell phone with me. Mm -hmm. I'm completely addicted to it. I know. And it's not a good thing. It's not. Even when you know it, it's hard. And I feel very, a a, a sense of real humility about that because I know it's bad for me. I know it's a waste and a drain and I, it'd be better if I was staring at the wall. (laughs) um, You know, I love to know what my friends are doing and who's rescuing what dog and, uh, and where we're going to meet for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hear you. I hear you. And is there anything that's coming up in the next month or two that you'd like to highlight? Oh gosh. Thanks for asking. You're probably going to be sorry. You asked me that question. I am doing a bucket list item. Um, my brother, younger brother, just died this fall of a, of a brain tumor. And when I got home, I said to my partner, we're going to Holland because I've always wanted to go to the Anne Frank house. I don't care how much it costs. If the dollar's strong, dollar's weak, I don't care. So I'm going to the Anne Frank house, but I'm interviewing two scholars when I'm there. One of them, uh, her name is Sophie Polderman. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She wrote a book called Seducing and Killing Nazis about the teenage women um, who were the resistance during World Mm. War II. Mm. And uh, she's a scholar of uh, human rights, and we're going to have an interview at their memorial. So um, that's coming up in a few weeks, and I, I'm already having trouble sleeping because I'm so excited. <laughs> wow. Well, that sounds really extraordinary. I look forward to hearing the podcast episodes on that trip. Thank you. Fantastic. Is it at the time that the tulips will be in? Season? It will be indeed, which wow. is, yes. And that's part of this bucket list. And, you know, when my brother died, I thought he's 52. I am, I am just saying yes. If it looks fun, I'm saying yes. And I'll work out the details later. Wow. Fantastic. Congratulations to you. Thanks, Thanks Maria. And I would really encourage all of you to up-level your life by going to zestfulaging.com, by following Christina on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. She is a woman of wisdom, and I am lucky that our paths have crossed. Ah, thank you so much. It's been a real treat. Thank you so much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you.